Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it has been a wonderful weekend here at the Heights, hasn't it? As uh, Dale already said, um, um, over 3,100 here over the three performances, and just an incredible sweet fellowship during all that time. I don't, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit or it was the hot chocolate and cookies, but we just enjoyed being together and then, and then came in here and man, the, the worship and the encouragement. It was just a very, very exciting weekend. We shared the gospel. Uh, I don't have an exact number, but we asked people if you prayed to receive Christ tonight, we have a gift, a book for you to help you, you know, grow and take these first steps. And uh, again, I don't know the exact number, over 10 people went out and, and got that book. So we're sure excited about that and praying for them. Uh, and how they take these these next steps. So great weekend. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Thankful for for Dale and and our worship arts team. Julie Cox uh, has done that a lot of years. Kind of back in business with us this year was directing our our drama. What, Dale was two hundred and forty people. Two hundred and forty of us was everybody serving to make that happen. Uh, from the parking lot to serving food last night, everything else. Just a a great weekend. Hey, quick announcement uh, I, I want to make. This is an announcement that goes all the way back to Easter. I know we're trying to get grounded in Christmas right now. Uh, we announced back at Easter we were taking a trip to Israel. Uh, we're doing that at the end of March. We have almost 80 people going on that trip. Very excited about that. I would say the trip is closed at this point, but we've had a couple of people, I think most for health, some health issues, had to drop out of the trip, and we have six spots open. Now, to be clear about the six spots, it's two couples and then a, uh, a male solo and a female solo. So that would be the breakdown of, of if you're interested in that. We, folks, we walk where Jesus walked. We, we see where so many of the Bible stories took place. Uh, I teach at about five different spots. Karen teaches at a couple of spots. And then, of course, we have our guide with us that we've worked with on all of our trips. And it, it is just a phenomenal trip of a lifetime. And uh, if you are interested in one of those spots, there's good news. There's a spot for you. The bad news is you've got about five minutes to decide. Uh, we actually purchased our airfare, our, our tickets this past week. So you, if you're interested in that, you, you like need to let me know today, maybe tomorrow. And, uh, there's still time to like pay out the trip, but you'll, you'll, will need to buy plane tickets right now. So email me, call me, stop me out there. If you're interested in that, we'd love to have you, have you join us. But again, that we announced that back at Easter and it's not Easter, it's Christmas, isn't it? And at Christmas times, you know, sometimes pastors like to run into the Old Testament and grab some of those prophecies about Christmas and the coming of Christ. But most of the time during this time of year, we're looking to Matthew 1 and 2. We're looking to Luke 1 and 2 uh, that tells us the story of Jesus and really tells us a lot about what was going on around that's kind of an important preposition. What was going on around Jesus during Christmas? Around him was Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. Around him was a star and a manger. Around him, man, angels 
praising and, and giving announcements. Some exciting things were going on around Jesus. Important things. Things that, that help us see who this baby really is. We love the things that went on around Jesus. I, I, I think those of us Christians, churchgoers, we love that part of the story. Think of, we build our Christmas out of the things that went on around Jesus. You, you, you've got a manger out in the front yard. You've got a star on the tree, angels somewhere in the house, right? We do the same thing when you come to church. We're doing Christmas cantatas and musicals and, and plays. We get out our beach towels and all dress like New Testament people all across America right now, demonstrating, showing what went on around Jesus at Christmas time. But there is a passage, one really unique passage that takes us to Christmas, but is solely focused on what went on in Jesus. In that trip from heaven to earth. And the important thing about that, the, the other stuff's a lot more fun, but the important thing about that is it out of that comes what I call the Christmas command. I, I don't have a command in my life because angels showed up. I, I don't have a command in my life because the shepherds were there. But I do have a command. You have a command of God in your life based on what went on in Jesus at Christmas. So let's look and see what that is. We're going back to the passage we were in last week, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're looking at verses 5 to 8. If you are new to our church or just maybe weren't here last week, we started a series called The Christmas Body, B-O-D-Y. That, that sounds a little bit strange, but Christmas is really all about Jesus getting a body. And, and we're looking at what that means because it's connected to the command that is in your life and in my life. So last week, we really kind of took a deep dive into these verses and trying to understand, hey, what does this word mean? What does this phrase mean? How does that command then come to us? And what we're going to do today and next week, uh, and we're going to carry this through Christmas weekend, but what we're going to do the next two weeks is look and see what that really then means if I'm obeying the Christmas command, next week is going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to look at what it looks like to be like Jesus from head to toe. We're going to look at all the body parts, no pictures, but all the body parts and how they serve the Lord. Next week, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm saying all that because today we ain't going to have so much fun. I, I think, I don't know how it's going to land on you. I'm a little overwhelmed by today's message. It makes me uncomfortable and, it, and it's hard to deal with. And, and so, but it, that's, that, that's part of following Christ, isn't it? There's, there's commands that are kind of simple and easy to take on. There's commands that challenge how we're thinking and behaving and, and living. And in this command, we, we, we get all of that. So let's, let's go ahead and dive in. I've already warned you, you're not having fun. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 starts off with the command. Here's the Christmas command. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, today I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Last week I read out of the English Standard Version. They say the same thing, but they'll interpret words a little bit differently, so how it reads. And so thought I would change it up this week. That, that you, you may be looking at a translation there. It says you need to have the mind of Christ. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What this just said, have the same attitude as Jesus. 
Now, Jesus did a lot of things. Jesus showed a lot of attitudes. Which attitude am I supposed to have the same attitude he had? Well, believe it or not, the attitude he had at Christmas. Look at verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. He put on a body. He put on flesh. The, the big $10 word for that in theology is incarnation, right? He incarnated. God put on the same body you and I have. He put on the flesh that you and I have, and he became a human being. When he appeared in human form, again, pointing to the body, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a, a criminal's death on a cross. Now, again, you, I, I've, I kind of explained where we are and what we're doing, but you may still look at that and think, that doesn't look like Christmas to me. I don't see a star. I don't see a manger. Where, where's Christmas in that? Well, it is the trip on Christ, what we call Christmas Day. It is the trip that Jesus took from the glory of heaven into the womb of Mary and on into the manger. And it's in that trip that God looks at you and me and says, hey, I want you to think just like that. I want you to have the same mind and attitude that Jesus had when he took that trip, when he put on a body. And a body is a kind of a central part of all that is happening here. He took on a body. The purpose of a body for Jesus was obeying his father, worshiping his father. So we see a, a humility in how I look at this body. We see a selflessness, a sacrifice, because he ultimately gets this body. He gets this gift so he can die. die, die for you and me. So we see what is his attitude. It's a selflessness. It's a humility. And it's in that that God then says, think like that. Well, now, if I'm just trying to grasp that, man, I think, hey, man, all of a sudden, I'm realizing my body is, it's not for me. It's, it's not for serving me. It's not for expressing me. It's certainly not for worshiping me. My body is for worshiping and obeying God. It's a, bi- a big thought, but think how God delivers that thought. He surrounds it in a Christmas story. He, he puts Christmas all around this idea mostly showing us what is going on around Jesus and then hones in with this passage on what was going on in Jesus and tells you and I to be like that. Now, when I say, hey, my body's not my own, and the scripture says that, my body's not my own, it's not for serving, that that doesn't mean I can't enjoy the body that God gave me. God gave me a body. And you know God gave me a body that can enjoy pleasure. Think about it. He, he gave me a mouth, not to just take in sustenance, but he filled it with taste buds that made a lot of that sustenance a lot of fun, like the hot chocolate and cookies we had last night. I mean, that's not necessary, but God gave those taste buds so we could find pleasure in some food, right? I mean, most of the healthy stuff. Come on, God, where's the taste buds for that stuff? But he gave us taste buds for pleasure. He gave us the ability to reproduce. And hey, we just need to reproduce to keep the race alive, right? But he, he didn't stop there with that task. And he gave some incredible pleasure with that, didn't he? 
physical pleasure, emotional pleasure that we experience with a spouse that is really that kind of the depths of love and pleasure. Man, God gave me eyes and ears not just to navigate safely the objects of the world, but he gave me eyes and ears that could just take in a myriad of sights and sounds, well, like music, solely for pleasure. And folks, God gave us pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing. It's just not the thing. You got to be careful not to worship pleasure. And what do I mean by worship? That pleasure becomes the driver. That everything I'm doing is to get that pleasure. Because all of a sudden, something that is so good that God gave to me can now end up destroying me. The Bible warns us of this. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You've got no defense. All of a sudden, the things that are giving such pleasure can come into your life and take from that life. If I cannot bring self-control to the pleasure, if I cannot live by God's definitions and God's design for that pleasure those very things will come in and steal and rob from my life. And you know, I can talk about what that looks like and means in a lot of ways, but I want to think just for a moment about what it means to a physical body. Because that's what we're talking about. That's what the focus is. That's where the scripture sentences. We're thinking about our body. Because we live in a culture now that, in my opinion, in my opinion, the greatest idol in America is self. We worship at the altar of self. There's nothing more important. There's nothing greater. There's nothing bigger than self. And my body is a tool for worshiping self and bringing self that pleasure. That's our highest value. But you know, it's interesting. When God gives us pleasure, there's not a cost. It's all good. But when we move away from God and go get that our ways, all of a sudden, man, there's kind of a cost to this. And so in our, in our worship of pleasure, I'm, somebody's in here, I'm sure, thinking, I've never worshipped pleasure. When pleasure becomes the driver of my decisions, when pleasure becomes why I'm doing what I'm doing, man, there's, there's a great cost. All of a sudden we have, well, 70 million abortions. Is that a lot? You know, even if I'm for abortion, you know, I'm looking at an individual life and, and the, the problem, the challenge that person has gotten themselves into that seems very overwhelming in the moment and it seems like a lifetime sentence and all of a sudden we, now we've got this procedure that can just kind of make this problem go away in a matter of minutes. And, I, you know, we, I, I, I can see from their mind, I don't agree, But I can see from their mind, hey, you know, this is just really, this is the only way. And so we've given a right to that. But as we look at an individual, did we ever think that would add up to 70 million? I mean, is there ever a number where we thought, is did we intend on stopping this many beating hearts? Did did we intend on doing this to this many lives? Is there ever a place where we question that? Our government right now is profoundly saying, there's not only no place we question that, we want absolutely no restriction on that. Because any restriction on my body, that's bad. Any restriction on my pursuit of pleasure, that's, that's bad. You see what the, the mindset? God told us to have one kind of mindset, but we got another one running right now. 
You know, in this mindset, this pursuit of pleasure, we have not a pandemic, but we have an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases. And man, that causes just a, a host of medical problems, not only in the present, but then we, we can manage that with medicines and everything, but then we get 10, 20, 30 years down the road and a whole bunch of cancers that none of us even relate with STDs, but are directly related to STDs. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to be ending my life with a whole host of health problems, just pointing to the body and the medical issues that come from our worshiping the body, worshiping pleasure. Obesity, same thing, whole host of health problems because I'm pursuing comfort, peace, pleasure, and something that God didn't give, that God gave it for pleasure, but said, hey, with with self-control. So this pleasure principle is guiding. My body is guiding everything we think and do. It's guiding how we treat each other and relate with each other. It's guiding our laws. And this has become so profound in America. The, the, the self and the body is so high now that any feeling, any thought that this has, anything going on in here right here is the greatest truth there is. It trumps all other truths. It's incredible to see this. Science is bowing at the altar of feelings. Because we're going down paths right now that not only have no scientific evidence, it's absolutely contradictory to evidence. But my feelings is the great truth. Trump's gravity. The only problem is nobody told gravity. Gravity doesn't care how you identify. Gravity doesn't care how you feel. And I'm just using gravity, folks, for physical, biological, scientific consequences. It it all comes to bear. And so we just saw this week where it came to bear in our Congress as they have passed. And it will go to the desk of, of our President Biden, who is thrilled with this. He will sign the Respect for Marriage Act, an incredible blasphemy. It is not the respect of marriage. It is the total disrespect and the total dismantling of marriage. You know, the New York Times Friday, now the New York Times is very much for the Respect of Marriage Act. But this is how the New York Times described what happened. A democratic political stunt just became law. Because you can't stand against a feeling. You can't talk against somebody's feeling. You'll lose friends. You'll lose a job. You'll lose social standing. And you can't do it. And all of a sudden, there's enough Republicans, both in the Senate and in the House, to go right along with this. Now, kind of the good news and the bad news. The good news, nothing actually changes when Biden signs this. It's not making new law. What it's doing is just scooping up how we've been living for the last 10, 12 years and, and, and gives, gives the authority to go in and clean up. So what, what is the Respect for Marriage Act does? It repeals DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, put in place only like 15 years ago. And it defined marriage as being between one man and one woman. So it officially, now we haven't been living in light of that, have we? We could care less about that. But what the Respect for Marriage Act does is it goes in and and formally, officially repeals that. 
The other thing it'll do is we'll go all throughout federal law. We'll look everywhere on the books. Anywhere that marriage is defined as being between one man, one woman, they now have the authority to go in and erase that and clean that up. So it's not changing anything or doing anything new. But what, what it is doing is, is just cleaning it all up. That's the good news. The bad news is it is absolutely enticing predatory law, predatory lawsuits against the church and against Christian schools and against Christian universities because we are losing religious liberty in America. I could say that's where I think it's going. I, I, you, you, boy, you have to hope and I don't know what to think this is not coming. And you realize most of America doesn't care if we lose religious liberty. You know, I, it, hey, if I'm not losing anything, I'm good. And what, I mean, what is religious liberty anyway? Doesn't that just mean I can go to church without being arrested? Well, fine, I don't go to church. I mean, most of America, right? They don't go to church. So what do I lose if I lose the freedom to go to church? It's much more bigger than that. It's much more profound than that. What you lose is the right to believe. We talk about choice. The, the, the original choice was a choice of how I'm going to believe without any threat of consequences. I think, again, pinion, the two greatest rights we have, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And historically speaking, in countries around the world, throughout history, where there's not a right to religious liberty, you will in time lose every freedom because you don't have the right to believe like you want to believe. Where did all this come? How did all this happen? Could, Could I suggest it was a simple rejection of the command of Christmas? Jesus got a body. Do what he did with his body. And we went the exact opposite way and said, no, I'm not going to worship God with my body. My body is going to be God. I'm not going to use this as a tool for obeying God and serving others. I'm going to use this as a tool for obeying every thought and feeling I have and calling the world to serve my thoughts and feelings. Now, why am I sharing all this on Christmas, right? I mean, there's somebody in here right now saying, this is not Christmas, that's just me. Well, for one, it happened at Christmas. <laughs> you know, what, what are we going to do, folks? I, I mean, a lot of Christians, we're scared right now. We're running for cover. Hey, how are, what's our strategy? How are we going to survive this, work through this? Let me, let me tell you my thought on this as I look at Christmas. Our strategy better be that we're operating from obedience. Are we different from, from they who we think so bad, who's destroying America? Are are, are we different from them? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Bodies. You know, it's interesting. If you do a a focus on a word, what what does Christmas give us? It, it, It gives us God getting a body. And then all of a sudden you start looking at all the places that shows up in the New Testament. And guess what? It's, there's a lot here about a body. I want you to use your body as a living sacrifice. Man, there's a lot of fun ways to 
think about what that might look like and, and what that might mean. I can have a spiritual worship with my physical body. And like I said, next week we're going to come back and have a little more fun, be a little more light. We're going to balance out today, okay? But we're just going to look at head to toe. How can this be a living sacrifice in worship to God? But, but then there's another aspect of what that means. I think Paul represents this well. As I think, hey, Paul, what did, being, what did your body being a living sacrifice, what did that mean to you? And, and listen to what Paul says. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Stop right there. If, if you received 39 lashes with the kind of whip that they were using, do you realize that moment you would live with the rest of your life? You would have nerve endings destroyed, and so there would be areas of pain, searing pain, that would go on the rest of your life. Uh, they certainly don't have Neosporin. They don't have anything to put on somebody's back after they, they get whipped like that. I mean, there's going to be infection. There's going to be healing issues. You're going to be incredibly scarred and disfigured for the rest of your life. And that was part of the punishment. For the rest of your life, everybody will know you got this. 39 lashes. That happened to Paul five times. I would suggest Paul probably by the end of his life was somewhat hideous to look at. You would absolutely turn the other way. Five times I received 39 lashes. Once, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Notice all these descriptions are about what is happening to his what? His body. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered. He remembers that. He remembers that night shivering in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now, I read that, and the first thing I want to say is, okay, so here's the good news. There's no command in the Bible to go find a place to get whipped. There's no command in the Bible that you need to be shipwrecked somewhere for Jesus. It doesn't even say in the Bible you have to shiver at least once for Christ. There's no, there's no command like that. But what are we seeing in Paul? We're seeing an attitude. We're seeing an attitude. whatever this might mean, whatever this might cause. Man, I'm not shrinking back. I'm not stopping. And folks, I think the American church has produced something, nothing like that. Are we different from the world that we shame? Are we different from the world we say is destroying America? Are, are we different? As I think the truth be known for a whole lot of us in our serving of Christ, in our witnessing of Christ, boy, the, the, the second I get a little uncomfortable in my tummy, I feel a little anxious, a little nervous, a little embarrassed. I'm not sure what this is going to cost. We stop right then. 
Being a witness for Christ, identifying with Christ, obeying, it stops right there. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not going to endure any cost. Folks, if my pleasure and my comfort is the measuring rod for how far I will go in serving God, I'm not one bit different from the people I point at and think I'm so much better than. Not one bit different. We're just talking about shades right now. That's not the attitude of Jesus. That's not the attitude Jesus showed me in getting a body. That's not the action Jesus showed me with his body. My actions look nothing like that, but they do look a lot like the people I look down on. You know, just because I'm not doing what they are doing doesn't mean I am doing what God said to do. And if we're not operating from obedience, then it really doesn't matter what strategy, what vote, what prayer we come up with for what's happening in America. I I, I hate to say this. You know, lights and cookies and manger scenes, they're a lot more fun, aren't they? (laughs) But Christmas does give us a command. When we're all, you know, packing everything up, putting it back in the attic, the basement, wherever you put all that stuff, we're still left with a command. Have the same mind as Christ. And when that command is given, God points to what he did with his body. Is that my attitude? Is that what I'm doing with the command of Christmas? Or just like the world, is my pleasure, is my comfort the real driver? And ultimately what this body is going to serve. That's, that's not fun to think about, is it? But if I'm not thinking about that, then what is it I think I'm celebrating When I celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray you would speak into each of our hearts right now. While our words and our songs and our decorations may celebrate Christmas, would you show me the places where I'm living that are doing something not only wholly different from Christ, but quite contradiction to Christ. Lord, I pray I, was, I would be as uncomfortable with not being what you want as I am afraid of being what you want in front of others. God, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to be whipped and I don't want to be stoned and I don't want to, I don't want to be rejected by society. But God, I do, want, I do want to be a living sacrifice. I do want to give my body to you. I don't want to shrink back if obeying you and identifying with you starts to bear a cost.
God, I thank you that as I pray this, I pray to a father who is incredibly patient. I pray to a father who's incredibly forgiving. I pray to a father who will give me the help if I actually want the help that I'm praying for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.